All right, guys. Hi, how are you? Tonight, we're going to be in Philemon, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Big one chapter. 25 verses. We can do it. It's a nice break from Timothy and Titus where um, there's a lot of false teaching and guarding against such. And uh, Philemon is about forgiveness. And so that's a wonderful... It's amazing how God uh, put the book together for us. Uh, it's written by... Uh, 40 different authors, or 66 books, and starts with the beginning and ends with the end. Of course, those two books were the easy ones to put into place, Genesis and Revelation, but the rest of them. And God does it just the way we're supposed to. We hit every topic when we're supposed to hit it. We hit every, we hit every subject, period. And tonight, as we get done with false teaching, we move on to forgiveness and what that looks like. Philemon's an interesting book. It's not really a book, it's a, it's a letter. It's a personal letter. It's a letter that Paul wrote that we were never intended to read. That's what I like. I mean, God intended it, but I don't think Paul had any idea that 2,000 years later, we in Maryville, Missouri, would be studying his little postcard that he wrote to some guy named Philemon about a man named Onesimus. It's like reading other people's mail, you know. But in this little epistle... It's a prison epistle. Paul's in prison. We get a glimpse into Paul's uh, genuineness. This is a private correspondence that isn't meant to be read in front of the church, and yet he's the same person there as he is publicly, which is very important, I think. It's very important that all of us have the same character and maintain the same principles and, and scruples in public or in private. Um. What goes on in my house should be able to go on here at the church, and what goes on at the church should be happening at my home. There shouldn't be a distinction between the two places at all. I am the church. You are the church. Wherever we go, we bring the Holy Spirit with us. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, the building has nothing to do with it. It's who we are. And so Paul is the same, and I'm glad. I'm glad. Um. It's written about 62 AD, so a little bit, a few decades after Jesus. Um, Paul's in prison. This is his first imprisonment. He's in Rome. And he's writing to uh, a friend named Philemon because there's been a divine appointment, we call them. That's a term we used in Christianese. But it's one of those moments where God brings someone into your path that wasn't a part of your schedule, wasn't a part of your plan, but there they are. Sometimes you meet them in a store, or you meet them at a reunion, or you meet them someplace you didn't expect them. They're out of context, you know. I think it's funny when people spot me places, that you know, church folk, and they see me in shorts or, well, I'm, that didn't work tonight, but <laughs> you get the idea. I'm out of context. They're going, oh, you're here. Yeah, I go other places, you know. I, I do have other things. Well, Onesimus, which is the subject of the letter, a runaway slave, has found himself with a divine appointment with Paul in prison. Now, we don't know whether Onesimus was imprisoned because of his running away or whether he happened to be there. We, we really don't know. Paul's in a funny prison, and here's why I say we don't know. If Paul's in prison, how could he not meet him in prison? Well, because Paul had liberty to move around. He was 
uh, always had a Roman soldier with him, but he was never, he, he wasn't bound to a cell um, like he was at other times of imprisonment. And so he could have met him on the street. He could have met him anywhere. Now for a runaway slave, Rome would have been a great place to hide. Many people, biggest city, hard to, easy to blend in, hard to be spotted or noticed as, as who you are. And um, so of course that's where he ran to. And for some reason, they ran into each other. But we know the reason. It's because of the Lord. And Paul will allude to that in this letter. God made this appointment. Onesimus wasn't saved when he ran into Paul, but he was saved after he ran into Paul, which tells us about Paul's uh, record for evangelism. It wasn't something that he took a class on. It was something that was so impactful in his life. He was so changed by the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. Being born again, he couldn't help but talk about the one who did that to him, the one who saved him. Evangelism isn't something we work up. It's something we just do because we see someone lost like we were, and we want them to be saved like we are. We want them to be relieved of their guilt and shame. We want them to have that freedom the weight lifted off of them that we know they're carrying, but they're so used to it, they don't know they're carrying it. Paul was an evangelist. And so he ministers to this Onesimus, this runaway slave, and the guy gets saved, but in the process of talking about his life and sin, perhaps, with Paul, things he needed to be forgiven of, things he needed to confess, well, one of the big ones was, by the way, I'm on the lamb, you know. I'm running from my owner, my boss. Now, it's not that kind of slavery. More than likely, it's more of a bond slave situation where he's hired himself out for seven years. And because he hasn't kept his bargain or didn't want to keep his bargain, he decided to run off. He was a naughty employee. And so left Philemon without his due. He's got to go back. He has to make restitution. I think that's one of the parts we miss sometimes in being born again. I'm sorry for the damage I've done. I'm sorry for the wake of destruction I've left in the path of my life and other people's lives. They've reaped the benefit, my parents <laughs> especially. But there are many other people. When I see them, I can't just pretend like nothing happened. I need to own up to it and talk to them about it. It's good to see you again, by the way. Really sorry about that. Here's where I was. Here's who I was. Here's who I am. Here's what I've become. It's important to make restitution. To not only confess to God, but to confess to each other. To talk to our spouses about our wrong. Not just expect forgiveness. It should be coming. But I think there's a part of us that needs to own up to it with them. With our kids especially. They need to see that. Well, Onesimus needs to head back to Philemon, but before he does, Paul says, let me write you a letter to take with you. Thank goodness. You know. And so that's the letter we're going to read here. This is the letter we get into here. Um, the penalty for being a runaway slave, just so you understand the context, is death. They kill him so that the others don't decide to run away too. There needs to be a very strict, harsh penalty and it's an example. It's not necessarily punitive. It's meant to be, um, well, it's meant to discourage, obviously. So imagine the scene. Paul leading him to the Lord, 
in the prison cell, out in the street, wherever it is that they met, becoming fast friends, Onesimus serving him daily, helping him with all the things that he might have need of, developing this close relationship. And Paul keeps eyeing him saying, you know you have to go back, right? You know. Well, that's a death sentence, depending on who the owner is, right? It's up to the owner to decide what they want to do. Do I want to kill this person as an example to the rest, or will I lose too much value and it's behoo of me to just whip him a few times and put him back into the mix, you know, so I can get my, my money out of him. You've got to go back. I'll go back. That must have been a big breath, huh? I'll go back. I trust God so much with my life now. I, I believe that this has all happened by God's divine hand. I'll go back. See, now Paul knows Philemon. Onesimus now knows that Paul knows Philemon. They know him from Colossae. The letter to the Colossians, Philemon would have been one of the ones reading it or, or been there. And then, Now this is a group of believers that have a church that Paul didn't start but still considered him their spiritual father. So that's the story there. So Onesimus is heading back with this letter, so let's read the letter. Paul a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Apphia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul begins his letter by letting everybody know, I'm here because Jesus Christ wants me in prison, not because Rome wants me in prison. The things that happen to the believer after they become born again is at the hand of their sovereign creator. It's important to know. He's Lord of my life. He's Lord of my schedule. He's Lord of my location. He's Lord of my time. He's Lord of my finances. He's Lord of my emotions and my health. Jesus is Lord of all. And so Paul says, I'm a prisoner here, but I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul can write this letter saying, it's a good thing I was here. Because if I wasn't here, I might not have run into Onesimus. And if I hadn't run into Onesimus, he might not have gotten saved. I mean, maybe. But this is the situation that Paul finds himself. Because he's embraced it as an imprisonment of Jesus Christ, he can serve, he can minister with joy. No matter what's going on in his life, I'm still God's messenger. I'm still God's servant, no matter where I am. I can be, Paul says, with Silas in the middle of a prison, and all the doors can open because of an earthquake while we're singing praises to God, and we're going to stay because this is where God wants us. The doors aren't keeping us here. God is keeping us here. The jailer looks in and says, you know, are you still here? We're all still here. I've been singing such great praises that none of the prisoners left when the doors opened. Paul understood that. God wants us to understand that. Why is this happening to me? You're a born again believer. You've made Jesus Lord. He can spend you however he wants to spend you now. And it's not, it's not that he wants to do it that way. He just says, oh, I'm so glad that you want to be used. I'm so glad you want to serve me. Now, we've got ideas about how we're going to serve. We've got preferences, I think. I mean, I think Hawaii would be a wonderful mission field for me. Beautiful. I I really do. 
Not that I don't love Missouri. My gosh, we've got our own little Hawaii where we live. I'm totally happy with this place. Don't get me wrong. But we've got ideas. And prison isn't one of them. That's not on my list at all. I mean, it's not even on list B. I don't want to go to prison and start a prison ministry. I'll go into a prison and do ministry, but I don't want to be behind the bars, you know. Paul was able to do that, and what an example for us all. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 17 through 19, Paul, again, the writer to the Thessalonians, says, Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And I'm going to add 19, because we don't usually add 19. Do not quench the Spirit. I think we quench the Spirit when we don't give thanks for the places that God puts us in the situations we find ourselves in. I think we need to give thanks in those things. Thank you, God. Now, some will argue, it doesn't say for, it says in. Well, I'm going to ruin that for you tonight. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul again writing, Verses 19 through 21, speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. For and in both. We don't get the out. And you can see why. Jesus is our example to think that For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. I don't think Jesus wanted plan A at all. In fact, we know from the guard when he was praying, God, if this cup can pass from me, let it pass from me. If there's any other way, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. For the joy that was set before him, he despised the shame, but endured the cross. And the same word, endure the cross, is the same word he used in the last three books when he talked about they will not endure sound doctrine. Isn't that interesting? Endure. You don't endure things you enjoy. I'm not saying sound doctrine isn't something we enjoy. It is, unless it's pointed at us, which is very uncomfortable. But God calls us then, even though we're not enjoying the sound doctrine because it's pointing at us, to endure it. Please put up with it. Please put up with the treatment. And you got to look at it that way. You have to understand that about God's word. It's treatment. It's medicine. It's a prescription. I don't know how many antibiotics we shoved down our kids' throat throughout the years. We're not going to talk about that right now, but at the time we thought that was the best thing we could do for them. And, and so you go through the process, whether it was the pink stuff or the white stuff, the white stuff with the metallic taste. You know what I'm talking about if you've ever done it. The pink stuff, ha, you could drink that all day long. It's like the Socrates of antibiotics, you know. That's a cough drop I can handle, you know. But you know you got to finish the bottle. And the first time they take it, you surprised them, especially the white stuff that's metallic. They took it. Second time, they're not so stupid. And they look at you and they say, no. Yeah. No. Yeah. And you do it. And the next day, and all of a sudden there's this gulag situation where they come sloughing out of the room. You know, it's like, oh, you know, I've got to take it. Endure this stuff. It's going to work. 
Sound doctrine, we have to endure sometimes. It's got to work. You got to let it work. I'm feeling better. I'm feeling better. Whoo. I'm feeling better to take that anymore. No, no, no. No, all the time. Now I'm not going to be able to find my place. No, you've got to endure that sound doctrine. And the same thing he says here, I want you to endure. I want you to endure these things. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good for those to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. God's intending this, Paul. You're in prison for a reason. You're going to give testimony. You're going to get a lot of Caesar's household saved. You're going to find this guy Onesimus. I can't find anybody to minister to him. You're going to run into him and get him saved. And in the process of doing so, you're going to give Philemon the opportunity to give forgiveness. There's so much going on in God's economy. I mean, I hate to call ourselves pawns, but really, to try to figure out God's chess game is ridiculous on our part. I have no idea why or who or what. I just need to do what's right before me every single day faithfully as unto the Lord to give thanks for it. Oh, great, you know. Praise the Lord. Thank you for this. Thank you in this and thank you for this. And I'm sure you're going to work this out for good because you always do because I'm saved, because I'm called. Now, um, verse four, I thank my God making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith, which you have towards the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may be effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Now he's written a letter to Colossae, but we don't know that he ever went there. He always intended to go there. He always wants to stop by there. He always says that about these things, but... Where did he hear all this stuff from? Well, see, he hasn't dropped the name yet. Now, granted, Onesimus is the one handing him the, the scroll or the letter or whatever it looked like. So, I mean, it's, it's probably not hard for him to figure out what the letter is going to be about. And yet, he hasn't said Onesimus' name in the letter yet. Now, I, I like to picture that scene, you know. <laughs> At Philemon's door. And Philemon going, who is what are you doing here, Onesimus? We've been looking for you, you know. There's a letter. Read the letter. Read the letter, you know. <laughs> quick, quick, quick. Read the letter. Put down the sword, you know. I don't know that, how it went down. Probably didn't. I go through all the scenarios in my mind just to make sure I, you know, I think some of these stories would be great movies, in my opinion. I'd have too much poetic license, though. I don't know how I'd play them out. Read the letter. We've heard a lot about your faith. We've heard a lot about you sharing. Onesimus probably said, this isn't the first time I've heard the gospel, Paul. More than likely. If you've got a believing master and you're a slave who's naughty and rebellious and he can pick up on that, it's, it's in any Christian's best interest to try to get this guy saved and to witness to him, I guarantee you. Philemon's been ministering to this guy before he ran away. Probably got tired of hearing it. May have even been the reason he ran. Who knows? 
And as he gets saved, he goes, you know, my master used to say this to me all the time. He talked to me about this Jesus all the time. Now, that's all me. I have no idea what kind of conversations they had. You can throw all of that out. But where did he hear about this stuff, if not from from Onesimus? Very well could have. It's a possibility anyway. Fun to think about. Uh, So in that Colossians 4, in that verse 17 there that we just, or that, in in this, where he he mentions these guys' names, um, that's where he gets... um, Sorry, I'm out of order here on my notes. That's right, I'll move on. I'm praying for you always. I'm always praying for you, he says. I'm praying for you that, he says, I thank God always in my prayers, hearing of your love and your faith, which you have toward the Lord Jesus and the sharing of your faith. Um, For we have great joy and consolation. You've been doing such a wonderful job, such a wonderful job. thing has been taking place. I'm so excited to hear about all the, 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 the fruit from your ministry and from your life, you know, Philemon. Um, the things I picked out for this section here are, do not neglect to pray for the spiritually healthy. Um, we put out a prayer list and a prayer uh, request for people that are sick or that are going through difficult things. And, and I have my own prayer time where I pray for people's marriages and things like that that aren't going so well or kids that are estranged from their family and from God and and all. But Paul, throughout several of his epistles, prays for those that are doing well. You know, I think that's very good. You know, um, preventive, (laughs) you know, preventive prayers. You see someone that's doing well, I don't want to look at the healthy spiritually and say, well, they're okay and they're okay. No, because the spiritually healthy, those that are doing well, are are going to be spotted and targeted. Satan can't have that. He can't have victory. He can't have winning. He can't have joy. And so that's a target, you know, eventually. That'll show up on his radar. And so we do want to pray. We don't want to neglect to pray for the spiritually healthy. We want to pray for more success, even if they're having success, more success in their walk, more fruit. We want to pray, um, and Paul, he rejoiced. He was able to rejoice in the success of others instead of be jealous for it, you know. That's a dangerous thing when you find yourself in that place. Be careful about that. Comparisons are, are not, they're hard to avoid. In our walk with Jesus. Why, why, why don't they go through things like I go through things? Or how come they look like that and we don't look like that? Or I don't look like that? And when am I going to? And all these things that we look around us. And, and that's okay. I mean, we do want to be examples to one another. We do want to, it's iron sharpening iron. We do want to be an example to those around us, believers and unbelievers. But um, we have to be careful that we don't become jealous of those people that are that are moving forward, you know, and doing well and maybe surpassing us in some areas. That's okay. 
and pray for them that they continue because they're going to have even a bigger target on their back, the more success they have, but pray for that. You know, I led three people to the Lord, you might say. I pray that you'd lead eight next week, brother or sister. You know, That's wonderful news. I don't have to say I didn't lead any. It's not about that. It's about you leading three to the Lord. Not about my record or my notches in my belt. It's about yours. And to be happy for them and excited for them, you know. My goodness, may God bless you with more. And that could be a mission field, just a regular old ministry that you do for people. Verse 8. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, being such a one as, um, as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. So that's, his, that's, that's the moment that we've been waiting for. This letter's about him. This is about you forgiving him. And this is about him becoming a brother. And it's good. And I met him. <laughs> and I'm old, and I'm imprisoned. And so, although I could command you as an apostle, which is interesting to take note of, I'm not going to do that for love's sake. It is very easy to be efficient in ministry. You can be. You don't have to write a letter. You don't have to send Onesimus back. You, you, there's a lot of things Paul didn't have to do, but Paul was mature enough in the Lord to know it's not about getting that done. Task number one, Onesimus saved, and, and, then, and then I can use him as my servant, and I can tell Philemon that he's now mine. God's doing more than that. It's bigger than that. What's with the delay? What's with the hesitation? God, how come we can't move? What's, what's the pause that's a very good question to ask, but with a better attitude. Why haven't I found my true love yet? Why hasn't she come my way? Why hasn't he come my way, you might ask as a single person. That's a good question. Why isn't that? Why hasn't that happened? I can speculate on some things. And I don't want to pick on that one specific subject, but are you ready to be the man of God or the woman of God that your spouse needs. It might not be him holding up the process. There may be some things that need to change first before he can bring this really amazing person into your life because she or he deserves the best. There's some work that needs to be done. Paul knows that this isn't just about Anisimus, this isn't about me and chains at all, because I, I can't believe I'm even in this mix. This is about these two guys. It's about both of them. It's about Philemon too. See, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. We know that, but both need to happen in order for either of them to happen, right? I can't be a giver if you won't receive from me. 
And, 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 and you can't receive unless I'm a giver. Those things have to work hand in hand. There have to be two people involved for that to, transaction to happen. And, and both are very important. There needs to be a, someone who asks for forgiveness, and there needs to be someone willing to forgive for it to happen, for it to take place. This is obvious, and I know that it probably doesn't need to be said, but Paul was old enough in the Lord to know I could command, but that isn't what God wants to do here. He wants to do something bigger and more in both men's hearts. You're going to have to take the long walk back, Anisimus. You're going to have to humble yourself before your master. You're going to have to own up to it. You're going to have to repent. And you're going to have to stand before him. And you're going to have to put yourself in his hands, his hands of mercy or judgment. You're going to have to do that. And Paul, knowing that, I could make it happen, but Philemon needs to find it within himself to willingly forgive and show mercy and not the judgment and the wrath. That's got to happen. See, what we're watching here isn't Paul, and it's not Philemon, and it's not Onesimus. It's Jesus, and it's me, and it's you. We're watching the whole thing unfold in real time. Paul learned what it looked like to be like Christ. Onesimus learned from Paul what it looks like to be like Christ. And Philemon also knows what it is. And everybody's got to start acting like Jesus in this situation. Everybody gets their chance to practice. I pray for patience. You get hard things that you need to be patient with to practice patience. I need to be more forgiving. See, we pray that for things that have happened, not realizing that God's going to make more things happen that you're going to need to forgive later on so you can get really good at this forgiveness thing. Hard. (laughs) I need to be a quick repenter. Now, that doesn't mean God's going to make you sin, but he's going to give you lots of opportunities, lots of conviction to bring you to that place where you need to repent. And this is one of those situations. Paul is mature enough to know that Philemon needs to work. God is doing a work in Philemon. God is doing a work in Onesimus and many, many other people watching this. And he's able to let this happen. This is the connection. Jesus is our servant leader. Paul is our servant leader. Onesimus, for love's sake, needs to repent and has to rely on the mercy and places himself in the hands of another. Philemon is given the opportunity to respond appropriately. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 through 32, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. That means deliberately, on purpose. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. That's the point. Philemon, how can you not forgive Onesimus for his transgression when you've been forgiven for your transgressions? So we're watching a very real moment here that many of us experience in our own lives, but we're watching this guys we know, Paul and Onesimus and Philemon, actually do Scripture. It's wonderful. It wasn't just academic. It wasn't just a philosophy. It wasn't just a part of the religion. It was something they had to live out daily. And it's different when, it's, when they're actually knocking on your door. Will you forgive me? You were a creep, Onesimus. 
you know, I, I, I don't know what Philemon said, but I don't know what the relationship was, but Paul knew he had to write a letter. I know that. Paul has to remind uh, Philemon that he could command him, but he's not gonna. And later on, he's going to say here in a minute, and if you find that you need to exact judgment and punishment from this guy, put it on my account. Just like Jesus, of course. I appeal to you for my son in the faith, Onesimus, whom I've begotten, he's born again, right here in the prison with me or on the streets or wherever. He was unprofitable to you, and I bet he was. I bet he was a hard case, you know but now is profitable to you and to me because he saved. Saved people that are truly saved, that are truly born again, work harder, work better, keep their mouths shut. They're better. They just are. Verse 12. I am sending him back to you. You therefore receive him. That is my own heart, whom I wished to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing. That your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. Now, I understand this. At parts, sometimes I giggle at these things, because what's he supposed to do when you read that? I didn't want you to be ordered. I didn't want you to be compelled. I'm going to let you voluntarily send him back to me. Okay, here's some bread and wine. See you, Onesimus. You know, head back to Paul. But Paul's got one letter and one shot at this, and so he's got to put everything in it. So you got to get that. There's no texting, you know. There's no back and forth. There's no quick thing. It's like, I'm going to send this guy off either to his death or to his forgiveness, and he needs to have a letter to make sure that he's not dead, you know. So he puts it all in there. And maybe Philemon and Paul had such a relationship that they could talk to each other that way, and Philemon totally understood. I get it. I get it. I get it, Paul. Fine. You know, they might have had a really great relationship. So they could joke around or even be so upfront about things like that. I want you to send him back to me, and I don't care if he finishes out his term with you, but it needs to be with me. I need him. I need his help. Consider it a donation to me, you know, is the idea. A personal favor as, a, as serving me by sending him to me. I'd, I'd like that, he says. In Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, we use this a lot of times for donations, financial things, things like that. So if you give, you're going to be given more. Well, it's not only that. I mean, that's a part of it, I suppose. It's about forgiveness too, though. It's about blessed are those who have mercy, you know, so on, all these things, you know, there's, there's a blessing attached to these things. If you're a good forgiver, you'll be forgiven a lot. If I forgive Jenny for all of her many numerous daily mistakes that she makes at her house, that's my wife, if you don't know. And I can plan on her, and I can trust that she's going to reciprocate. She's going to give it back. And she's much better at it than I am. I don't give very much practice with her to forgive. But I give her lots of practice. She's very good at forgiving. 
Second scripture is Mark chapter 11, verse 25. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. Now that person that you've got something against isn't there repenting, are they? No, before you go a step further with me and the forgiveness you're asking from me, God says, I want you to forgive the people around you and, and we can continue talking about this, you know, and I'll forgive you. We need to be doing that, he says. So while you stand praying, if you've got anything against anyone, forgive them so that your father may forgive you too. Paul is asking Philemon to willingly forgive Onesimus. I want you to do this with your heart. It's not only for, for Onesimus, but it's for Philemon. Maybe Philemon is looking for this guy desperately. Can't let it go. Thinks about it at night before he falls asleep. I don't know how I'm going to find this guy. I've checked this city, that city. He has to be in Rome. Who knows whether it's consuming him or not, because it can. And we know what that's like. When we haven't forgiven somebody and they've wronged us, and it consumes our thoughts, and we role play and we go over these things in our mind, you know, you think you're the only one. Everybody in this room does that. Until we forgive them, truly from our hearts. Until we truly let it go. And it's even better when it's face to face. When the conversation takes place. Where you don't just lie in bed and say, I've forgiven them in my heart. But you actually verbally say it and do it. There's a connection that's made there. There's a, there's a completion. It's almost more thorough. I don't know how else to describe it. But when you do it in person, it's better. It's more permanent. It doesn't rise up as quickly. You know, you know how it rises back up again even after you've forgiven them? And you think about it some more and you've got to forgive them again, you know? Paul says, Philemon, I want you to forgive this Onesimus guy. And then I want you to send him back. And that's the purpose of the face-to-face contact. Here's a letter. Read it. But Onesimus has to say the words too. He's got to go through it. He's got to say, I'm sorry. I really shouldn't have been there. I shouldn't have ran away. I was a different person then. I didn't understand. I didn't understand what you were telling me. I didn't like being under your thumb, the, the, your tone, you know, whatever it is. No, I got, I got to go back and ask for forgiveness. And he does. And there's a, there's a beautiful thing that takes place when that happens. I think we experience our forgiveness from Jesus even more and almost again when we do that with other people from our hearts. I don't know if you've ever done anything daring or jumped out of an airplane or something or done something that was pretty, took a lot of guts, dumped off a high dive. Maybe that would have been traumatic for you or whatever. And I'll use that as an example, I guess, a high dive, because most of us has probably been you know, close to that anyway. That's the closest we've been to anything daring. But that ladder climb and fighting the feelings and the nervousness and the stomach ache and all those things, even a roller coaster might be a great example. Whatever it is, it's until you finally jump and it's, you're committed, you know. And you land in the water and you're okay and you swim to the shore. And that was all right, you know. All of our kids have to go through that, jumping off the board or going down the slide. It's a, they're terrified, but they want to do it. They don't want to look like a baby and they know they look like a baby when they don't do it. They want to do it and... 
Then when they do it, they're like, you don't even have to watch them anymore. It's just like a merry-go-round, you know. But that first jump, well, forgiveness is a lot like that. I tell you, the more you practice it, the more you get into it, the more you have those one-on-one conversations. The walk up to the person is very difficult. It is. The look at them in the eye, the bringing it up. You both just kind of agreed to not talk about it and just kind of go on with your lives like nothing ever happened, you know? Maybe you're doing that in your marriage right now, and this is for you. Maybe you haven't talked like you're supposed to talk. Maybe you haven't confronted like you need to confront, not confront, but brought it up, you know, and asked for forgiveness and received forgiveness. That's so important to practice these things. And I tell you, once you do, once it comes up, once it's done, you don't realize the tension that you've removed from the situation and from, it's gone. You've, you've put up with it and gotten so used to the tension in the room or with that person, and that's just how you are, and that's how it's going to be for the rest of our lives. But once the tension's gone, it's like, oh my goodness. There's a softening that takes place. There's a release that takes place. Wonderful. <clears throat> so important. Paul knows that. Onesimus would be fine staying with Paul, hiding out, but Onesimus needs to get this off his chest. Philemon would be fine, but Philemon is obsessing and he needs to get this off his chest. These two men need to meet for the kingdom of God to further itself, to move on. For both these men to be freed up and not have that in the back of their mind or in their history, and they can move forward with what God wants them to do. So important. And Paul's mature enough to know that. Verse 15, for perhaps, maybe, he, Onesimus, departed for a while for this purpose. You might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Maybe that's why this all happened. Maybe. Of course, that's why it all happened, right? We know that. Paul knows that too. Perhaps, Philemon, this is all by God's hand. Philemon's like, I know this is God's hand. Think about, you think about these old guys, these, these seasoned saints in the scriptures who trusted in God so much and God really pushed that trust. You know, I think about Joseph. I'm giving you dreams. I'm telling you how things are going to be. God, thank you. I'm really looking forward to ruling over everybody. Are you? You know, because the next thing that's going to take place is all of your brothers are going to throw you into a pit and sell you to a caravan, and you're going to be moved into Potiphar's house where you're going to have to serve this Egyptian. And then you're going to get accused of rape. And you're going to run from the house, but she's got the coach. So she's going to say, I, I fought him off. And now you get to be put into the lowest parts of the prison of Pharaoh. And then you're going to meet a couple guys and you're going to interpret some dreams for them, a baker. And who's the other guy? A waiter, the cupbearer. <laughs> and they're going to forget about you. Then you'll be number two in Egypt. I mean, that is God taking it to the nth degree, isn't it? You trust me? I do i got to save your family, but it's not going to be how you think. There's a famine coming, and I need them to move to Egypt. 
There's a whole thing going on there with Moses, so we're not even going to get into that. That's 400 years from now. Joseph, do you trust me? Of course. Job. You talk about taking it to the extreme, taking all of his children, covering them from head to toe with boils, giving him some not very good counselors and so on. Paul. How many times was Paul beaten and imprisoned wrongfully just for sharing the gospel? Stephen. All I wanted to do was wait tables, and all of a sudden I find myself ministering in a pit. His, his first and greatest sermon was his last. Jesus. See, that's the example we have. That's the example Joseph had, Job, Paul, Stephen, Onesimus, Philemon, J.D., you. God, I trust you. I give you my life. You're the Lord of my life. Okay. Some people won't have this Joseph experience. Some of you might. Are you ready for it? You should be. It's neat to be used by God. Whatever capacity he decides to use you. I don't know any of these guys that say, man, you know, it would have been better if I just hadn't known the Lord or trusted God and him use me this way. If I'd have known he was going to use me this way, forget it. None of them ever said that. They were all blessed afterwards. Now going through it, there was a lot of praying and there was a lot of crying out and there was a lot of, oh boy, Lord, I'm going to trust you through this valley of death. I'm not going to fear any evil, but boy, hold my hand. It wasn't fun. It was part of it. Perhaps. Perhaps. Verse 17. If you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand, I will repay. That's his IOU. That's a legal document right now. I am taking on the burden of Onesimus' transgressions. I mean, he's truly doing what Jesus did, isn't he? I'll come and work it off. I'll take his place. He owes you. I now owe you. He's free. It was just exactly what Christ did. Not to mention, of course he doesn't leave it there, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Remember, you're saved because of me. <laughs> well, again, you got to get it all into one letter. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. By doing this, you know, I'm in prison. I could use a little joy, a little pick-me-up. This guy's been a blessing. It'd be a real great blessing if you forgave him and sent him back to me. Just saying, Paul says. <laughs> in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Paul lives that out in his own life. And I'm supposed to live that out in my life, and you're supposed to live that on your life. Are you willing to take on the debt and the burden of other people's sins unto yourself? Not for salvation, not for heaven, don't get me wrong. Can you forgive? Can you be wronged? Romans 5, 18 through 19, Therefore, as though... As through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many 
will be made righteous. It is a cascading effect when you begin to forgive people. When you forgive them and they feel that forgiveness, they're freed up to forgive others the way you forgave them and so on and so on and so on. And you have no idea the rippling effects it has in society when you forgive the one person. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Christ is our perfect example of this. While we were still enemies, he died on the cross for our sins. We'll finish up here, verse 21. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. I'm going to come visit you. I'm sure he means that with less of a threat than I am making it out to be, but, you know. By the way, I'm coming. He said the same thing to the Corinthians, by the way. You, know, you think I'm weak in presence and, in, and I'm strong in letter? I am coming to you, Corinth. <laughs> and you're going to see me strong. So let's get this straightened out before I show up. Here he says something similar. Make a room for me. I, I'm looking forward to coming and visiting you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristocaris, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. I'm looking forward to finding out what kind of relationship these two had when we get to heaven. Whether I misinterpreted it all, probably misinterpreted quite a bit there, probably read into a lot of that. Or whether they were just really close friends. And they were like, hey, I found Onesimus. I sent him to you. Can you forgive him and send him back to me? Of course. Absolutely, Paul. I'm glad he can be used. I'm glad you reached him. You know, who knows how it went. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this short little letter. You gave it to us for a reason. What a great example of Paul's personal relationships with others, not just his public ones. What an example for us, God, that even while Paul was in prison, he was still trying to make peace between brothers, being a peacemaker. And uh, it was a blessing to him and exciting to him to think that this could, this could really come out great. This could really turn out well. And he trusted both these people with their responsibilities in the faith. One to repent and the other to forgive. God, I pray that we'd be able to do the same. (laughs) I'm reluctant to pray that, that this week we get an opportunity to be like one of these three folks. And yet, I know it's for our best. I know it will be a wonderful thing for us. As a body, as individuals, it would grow us. It would make us more like you. And so, God, I do. We do pray for these opportunities to forgive, to be forgiven, to own up, to give mercy, to bring two brothers or sisters together. Whatever role we have to play, God, we're all in. Lord, bless these folks as they go tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you.